1: Hello
2: and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talksport. With me, Sam Matterface, Talksport's football correspondent Alex Crook, and the FA Cup runner-up and West Ham legend, Dishy Dean Ashton. On the way today, the top two meet for the first time this season. Will we get any indication of what's to come in the Premier League title race, or will they rest so many stars that this just tell us about whether or not their squad's deep enough or not? Elsewhere has Bill Kenright, in his bid to revive Everton's fortunes, actually killed a once great club. And credit crunch. There's a very good reason that Chelsea, who have more players than an Essex nightclub, won't loan anyone to Newcastle. It's the Gang Day FA Cup podcast from Talksport.
3: Two teams who are playing the best football in our country at the moment, going toe for toe, it'll be fascinating. Harlem
4: once again
0: making
3: himself a home! He has,
0: he has. He's spoiled with a luxury of players.
1: Mares, he brings it down and scores! Yeah! Riyad Mares for Manchester City!
0: I want to see them play like last season to see if they look better with
4: Haaland or without.
1: Arsenal 3, Manchester United 2, the Emirates has just erupted.
4: We have made an incredible season so far, I would say, but they will have been better. Mikado
3: Saka on the score sheet again.
4: Arteta is back on the
2: turf, he knows very well. Three and a half years he was the assistant to Pep Guardiola.
4: I just love it. That's the reason why we are here, to play these kind of games. One of the biggest games of the season for us.
2: The FA Cup, the original and the best.
4: Oh, if this was in the Premier
2: League, you'd be rubbing your hands with glee. You wouldn't be able to wait. Top against second, first meeting of the Premier League's top two sides all season. But it's not in the Premier League, it's in the FA Cup. So are you looking forward to seeing them go head-to-head head as much as you were? I'm eager to see whether or not uh, Arteta behaves on the touchline or whether he and Pep have got some synchronised touchline TikTok planned or something like that, uh, Dean Ashton. Because I can imagine they'd be they'd be quite good at coming up with some sort of dance craze. Uh, but on a serious note, I mean, is this a bit like a phony war between these two teams, bearing in mind they're going to arrest so many players, or you would expect them to rotate? Well, I think that's what's going to be interesting. I don't feel like Arteta will rotate. I think Arteta's going to go into this with his strongest side because they're going to have a, a decent rest as it is until the next Premier League game that they play. So I, I I don't see why he would rest any players. It's a great opportunity to get one over on, on Pep Guardiola's Manchester City side early on before you play in them, in them league games. I think it will actually set up the league games even more and kind of build for uh, for those games. But there's no doubt there's definitely an awkward love in between the two of them. Oh, they're very awkward people, both of them. They're not, they're not like you, you would never give any of them a hug, let's put it <laughs> that way. And if you did, it would be one of those ones where you're thinking, can I get, is that right? Oh, no, that doesn't feel quite right. Oh, I was a bit too bony in that area. Um, uh, Alex, uh, talk to me about um, whether or not psychologically a win in this game could carry someone through in the Premier League? Because if Arsenal were to lose, all of a sudden that might damage a little bit of confidence for Mikel Arteta and his, his young group. They've got a young, youthful group. They've got some experience in there as well, Xhaka and Partey. But you know, historically, Arsenal have been accused of being mentally weak. Could this damage them if they were to lose this badly?
3: Potentially. I think they've, they've probably passed all of the mental tests that have come their way this season when they have had a setback and there haven't been too many occasions when that's happened. They lost to Manchester United, immediately got back into groove. They dropped a couple of points at home to Newcastle, got back in their groove there as well. But I I see what you're saying with phony war. I I don't have a clue um, the strength of the lineups. I can see Dean's argument for Arsenal wanting to go strong. Pep Guardiola, to his credit, has always taken the domestic competition seriously. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me if Man City go relatively strong as well. But this is the start of a trilogy which is going to be absolutely fascinating and key to what happens for the rest of the season because those two Premier League games are relatively close together. So yeah, I think psychologically, this is an opportunity not just for Arsenal, but for both teams maybe to lay down a marker for those two Premier League head-to-heads. And not for the first time, a
2: Premier League manager is about to say, Crook, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Here is Mikel Arteta speaking to Bradley Hayden saying that this game will have absolutely no bearing on what happens in the Premier League.
4: I think they're going to be two very, very different games and to put similarities into them, I think it's just uh, very unreal, maybe for the players that are going to be on that pitch, but as well because of the context is is extremely different, but um, let's see, obviously, it's important always to play well and, and to win, that gives you more momentum, more confidence and, and prepares you better for the next match and that's our focus. So to do that on Friday.
1: And there seems to be a real change in mentality in this, this Arsenal squad, especially this year. And I think perhaps that game at the weekend in previous seasons, an Arsenal side might not have, have won that game. So what have you done behind the scenes to, to change the mentality and, and make the squad really united and have that real winning mentality and strong desire to win every game this season?
4: I think the key word probably would be belief. Uh, not only our belief, but the staff belief, players belief, the atmosphere that we created with our people at the stadium. You could sense it if it went down, that, that we could still go and win it. And managing emotionally the game um, in a much better way than we used to, and, and then playing better. And we are playing better than before, and, and we are earning the right to to win the games. And then football, as we all know, is very unpredictable. And what sort of impact has Zinchenko made on this squad? I mean, Another great performance from made at the weekend. Well, we know that he's a player that gives us everything that we want in that position, that he gives us the versatility and, and he gets a lot of attention as well and, and frees us other spaces that for us is really important. But I will especially um, highlight his mentality and what he brought is, is a real desire to win, To to make something special with this team and um, and the experiences that he had in the past i think they are very helpful to us Well there you go Dean. <laughs> what does he know about football?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Arsenal have already faced uh, Brighton, Newcastle, Tottenham and Manchester United in their in their last four top flight games and they've collected 10 points from those fixtures. They're used to playing big boys and used to coming out on top in those games. They've got a brilliant Uh, front battalion, Erdegaard sort of sitting behind Bakaio Saka, Gabriel Martinelli and the improving uh, Eddie Nketiah. And of course, Gabriel Jesus is going to come back at some stage as well. It's an exciting time to be an Arsenal fan, isn't it? What's it like being a Manchester City fan right now? I guess, um, I I, I don't think it's, it's any different, to be honest. I think what would probably annoy me is that Arsenal are are very close to a clone of what Manchester City are. I think Arteta's <laughs> takes taken so much of what Pep Guardiola brought to City and taken it to Arsenal. That would probably annoy me a bit if I was a, a City fan. But this isn't anything new. They've had they've been having to fight Liverpool for, for the previous three or four seasons. So I think I think they'll be a little bit um Sort of unsure happening with the back line. I think that would probably bother me if I was a City fan. I look at that back line and even I'm not sure yet exactly what's going on. Cancela looks so out of sorts. Walker's obviously not being picked very regularly. Obviously, Rico Lewis being given a chance. Ake seems to be the the main man at the moment. I know Diaz will be back and might actually feature in this uh, in this game from the start. But I think that would be the one worry is is what's happening with that what was once or what felt like a really secure back line um, recently. And I think that's something Arsenal have really got to Now, Listen, a lot of people have been having this odd discussion about Erling Haaland and whether or not he makes Manchester City worse. What has made Manchester City worse this season and the reason they haven't got the points that they got at this stage last campaign is the fact they concede far too many goals yeah. they haven't had a settled back for because Diaz has been injured for most of the season usually when Diaz is there he's one of the first names of the team she Stones has been in and out Ake's done very well when stepping in and as you've already mentioned Cancelo hasn't been up to his usual scratch and Laporte actually hardly started a game until the middle of October went away with Spain played in every game for them then came back and he hasn't been included very much by Pep either, and um, as a Manchester United fan, you're obviously a local and you're in touch with the local psyche. Um, well, Manchester City fans are a little bit uh, worried about and um, the way that the the rest of the teams have started to reinforce. I got that sense from. Uh, Pep Guardiola. I think that's why he was getting animated the other night when I was talking to him. It because he could see that Chelsea were spending, that Newcastle were spending, that Manchester United were coming, that Arsenal had developed a good side. And he's
3: looking around thinking, right, okay, we need to knock on as well. We need to maintain our standards. Yeah, but I think he thought they were doing that with Ernie Haaland. You know, he was the one signing they, they wanted. He was the one player that everybody in, in Europe, let alone the Premier League, wanted. So I think he felt certainly in terms of the Champions League, that could be the missing piece in the jigsaw. And it might be, by the way, I mean, they're still in the title race. If they were to win both those games against Arsenal, uh, suddenly I think we would be talking about the the potential champions in a very different light. They're in the Champions League. I think that is his holy grail this season. I think he's becoming the holy grail for Manchester City supporters. Uh, As you've already alluded to, I clearly don't live in Manchester but actually <laughs> I do know uh, quite a few Manchester City fans and, uh-huh. and they're all I saying do, the same things. I do things. know some
2: Man City fans <laughs> I do know some I do I do socialize with them
3: <laughs> I do actually and they're all saying the same things they want the Champions League so if, if you were to sit here now and say look Arsenal win the Premier League but you finally get your hands on that European Cup I think they would be quite happy
2: who are your Man City friends? I don't know that you've got any Man City friends. I've been, I've, I've been mates with you for twenty five years. I'm, I don't, I don't, I can't even think of one. Well, we've got one in our office for a start. Who's a oh, big Man City fan, right?
3: Okay, so someone you work with—that's it. Not really a friend. You haven't got any Man City friends, have you? And also, one of my pals, one of my pals from the Paul stroke cricket team, is a massive Manchester <laughs> City fan, and all he talks about yeah, is the champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sounds like a made-up character. Um, <laughs> Arsenal
2: have uh, been ahead. He's jealous because I've got. More friends than him. I'm just, I just don't believe that. You I, I, listen, but then again, to be honest with you, uh, bearing in mind that I went on a golf trip with Crook and he invited just his close friends, and there were 69 people there. <laughs> uh, I think if you've met him once, you are literally one of his best pals. Uh, Arsenal have been ahead of the break in seven of their 10 Premier League away matches this season, so it's quite likely uh, that they will make a fast start in this game. Maybe we will see uh, Trossard from the start the first time. Smith-Rowe might get an opportunity. We might see a bit of Calvin Phillips for the first time this season. It would be nice to see a bit more of him. Bernardo Silva, obviously, uh, a big part of them as well. Um, Let's see what happens. This game is live on Talk Sport. Looking forward to it friday night uh, let's get stuck into a super saturday across the talks board network no less than five games from the fa cup uh fourth round it's going to be banging the only place on national radio you can find out is here on the home of the fa
0: cup
3: it's 1-1, he's done it again. He's rescued it for Leicester. Somerville has surely won it for Leeds United. Alexander Mitrovic for Fulham. That should do it for Sunderland. Ahmed Diallo celebrates Harry Kane with the strike to put Tottenham in front. And that could be the winning goal for Preston North End. Winner Fernandez finds the corner, Manchester United leads. Lucas Schell gets at least one back for Reading. Mm. Brighton take the lead, a stunning effort from Caicedo. And Mo Salah scores for Liverpool. Wrexham beat the team 59 places above them in the league ladder.
2: The FA Cup, the original and the best. We start with Warsaw against Leicester FA Cup fourth round game. Uh, Accrington Leeds is on at the same time on Talksport 2. Uh, game day live with Dan Windows taking you around the grounds. We've got Ipswich, Burnley, Fulham, Sunderland, Southampton, Blackpool. Fulham, Sunderland, by the way, is also on Talksport 2. Then Preston, Tottenham a little bit later on. And Manchester United ready. Um, let's talk a little bit about Manchester United to start with here because Eric Ten Hag obviously needs a trophy, Dean. Uh, Because to legitimise the way he's done, it was pointed out to me yesterday that actually I think they've been in the first 20 games or whatever it is in charge of Manchester United in the Premier League. He's taken 38 points or 39 points. And when Solskjaer took his first 20 games, he got 40. So let's not get too excited just yet. But if he were to put a trophy on the mantelpiece, that would... I think certainly underscore that also the work he's done behind the scenes because there's a very clear development, I think, when you use the eye test rather than just look at those bare statistics that this is a club that is on the up. Definitely. they've. I think they've been superb and I think you can really start to see how they're controlling games. I think that's the most important thing with Casemiro in there who I think's just been absolutely brilliant for the way that they want to play uh, Manchester United. I think this is just such a great opportunity because I know Newcastle personally I think will will go through and it's so big for them. The pressure that I think that'll be that'll be on those players and the feeling of the supporters, I think it's a great chance for Manchester United to uh, to win that first trophy under Ten Hag. I, I just hope Rashford stays fit for them because without him, I think they would be a, a very good side, but nowhere near what they have become in, uh, in in the last couple of months. I think he has just been so big for them. And and if they were to lose him for any reason, they'd be a very different side. Well, they wouldn't have any goals for a start. Ten goals in last ten games. Uh, Marcus Rashford, he picked the ball up on the left-hand side uh, on uh, Tuesday night. Was it Wednesday? Wednesday night. Uh, and he darted down the left channel sloughed them past three Nottingham Forest defenders and bludgeoned the ball into the near corner past Wayne Hennessey. It was literally like he said, look, I'm just going to do this and then we'll get on with the rest of the night. He, I mean, he was in fantastic form for that five minutes and then actually drifted out of the game, to be honest with you. He'd done his work. It, 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 was, it was pretty much done and dusted. Um, but it it, it was a, a an interesting performance, I thought, because Manchester United started that game really well and then Morgan Gibbs-White sat on Casemiro, caused him all sorts of problems, was just basically robbing him of possession every time he tried to play out, every time he tried to break up play. Gibbs-White was on him like a rash. And actually, I thought tactically, Steve Cooper got that spot on. If they could defend, and Serge Aurier knew what was going on behind his back shoulder, then they may well have got something out of that game and finished as well, because there's
3: some big chances, Group. There'll be a lot of managers who... Uh, would like to lose the game 3-0 at home and be branded a tactical genius. So, um, fair play. You've done Steve Cooper a favour there. But you are right about Morgan Gibbs-White. I thought he was excellent in the game. And and actually, for the first time, Casemiro floundered a little bit. But United have just got that confidence, that swagger. You mentioned the goal that Rashford scored. There's no way he even contemplates making that run, let alone finding the finish uh, a year ago. So, that in itself is testament to what Ten Hag is doing. The squad is still... Short of options. We saw that in the league game against Arsenal. I don't think there's going to be any more significant incomings between now and the end of the window, but never say never when it comes to Manchester United. But they are in a good place. I fear Newcastle in the final. I would love Southampton to go to St. James's Park and overturn that first leg defeat. I'll be a lot more confident of United putting Silverware on the mantelpiece then. But don't start comparing Ten Hag to Solskjaer. They are chalk and cheese. This is a this is a I proper didn't manager. Compare this him. Is a proper I gave manager. you the
2: statistics. I gave you statistics. If you want to try and dress it up and twist the narrative, that's up to you. But I told you statistics. If you can't handle statistics, that's fair enough. I know you like to create your own stories. Uh, Reading the opponents on Saturday night, um, and they've lost uh, seven of their last nine on the road, taking on a team that won 10 in a row at home. Very difficult to see how they're going to get past Manchester United. Yes, they're useless away from home. You know, they... (laughs) They are a decent side. Don't mean she words. No, no, but they—they they have honestly. They have—they have, been, they have uh, been turned over. They roll over when they're away from home. Paulin's side and the contrast to them when they're at home, and they're—they're a, they're a difficult team to play. They look like they're going to create chances. They look more defensively solid away from home. Almost, it's almost like when they're not in front of their fans. I don't know what it is. Whether it's a mentality issue. But then again, it's Manchester United. I expect the players to lift themselves. But I I think it's a great opportunity for Ten Hag to rest lots of the players, to give those fringe players some game time um, and, and still beat Reading comfortably, I would expect. Uh, Paul Innes, obviously a former Manchester United captain. Um, I always wonder with Paulins whether or not he damaged his legacy a little bit at Manchester United by going off to Inter Milan when Fergie didn't really want him to and then coming back to England and playing for Liverpool. Not the best thing to do if you are a former Manchester United captain, I would suggest. But what reception is he going to get at Manchester United uh, season ticket holder Alex Crook? Oh, no, sorry. Manchester United
3: attendee twice or three times a season, Alex Crook. Unbelievable. Um, I think you'll get a, a negative reaction because I remember. Back in 98-99, uh, United are chasing a treble. They're 2-0 up at Anfield. Liverpool get it back to 2-2. Paulin's gets the equaliser and he kisses the Liverpool badge. So, um, Oh, yeah. I've cer- I remember that. I've certainly, I've certainly got a long enough memory that uh, I think he should be booed. Um, and I think most Manchester United fans will feel the same. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Perfectly mid-table. Uh, Reading 14th in the Championship. Absolutely nothing to lose, but unlu- unlikely to get anything... At Old Trafford, a big month coming up for Manchester United. They've got eight games, possibly nine in uh, February. Um, it'd be interesting to see how he manages his squad. Are we ever going to see Jaden Sancho again? I suppose that's a big question, isn't it, Dean? It is, and we will. Um, there's obviously, he's had some time away, but he's back training with the, with the first team. He's still young. We looked at Rashford and how he was over the last 18 months or so, and he's come back and thrived. I think he's in the right environment anyway from, from what we've seen and the way Ten Hag has, has handled it. I think he's in the right place and I think given that bit of time, I don't see any reason why he can't. And also, I think once the team has got into a position like they have where they're controlling more of the games, I think that is where you're going to see the best of, of a Jaden Sancho when they've got control of the ball and he's not necessarily... I don't think he's quite as, a, as adept at a counterattacking as... Marcus Rashford. I think when you get higher up the pitch, he's not as pacey, is he? No, but he's he's got good vision and he can just jib g- past players without maybe that that pace. And actually, I think he's a goal scorer. So I think if I think if Tenard gets him in the box more regularly, I, I haven't got any worries about him. I think he'll be fine. I just think it's we, you can underestimate how how big a football club that is and the pressures that come with with playing for that football club. Maybe just give. Uh, certain plays a little bit of slack um, the uh, next game on our agenda is Warsaw against Leicester live on Talksport 12-30 and um, Leicester desperate for some sort of win but what a good opportunity it is for Warsaw who have only lost one of their last 13 games they are playing catch up in League 2 after a slow start uh, to the season but they're playing well crew uh, Brendan Rodgers will be quaking in his boots because if they lose this one it's going to be incredibly embarrassing
3: Yeah, Mike Flynn, uh, Walsall manager, has got a bit of history, hasn't he, when it comes to producing upsets in cup competitions. This is probably the last fixture that Brendan Rodgers would want at this moment in time because every time you think Leicester have turned a corner, they seem to take a step back. It wasn't a bad point against Brighton um, last weekend, but they're still flaky defensively, aren't they? And I'm sure Walsall, uh, without being too cliche, are going to pump plenty of high balls into the penalty area. They'll try and seize on Leicester's vulnerability at set pieces. This is a massive banana skin. This this could be the shock of the weekend. There aren't too many contenders. I think this is one of them. Um, Walsh sort of knocked out Leicester in the fourth round before. Did you know that? Uh,
2: 28th of January 1978. Were any of you alive in 1970 Nope. Obviously not. No, no, me neither. Me <laughs> neither. Um 28th oh, of January, of shock of the weekend. Hey. Um, 28th of January, 1978, Warsaw, not Leicester out in the fourth round. Um, I wonder if they'll be able to do it this time uh, around. It's a big fixture for Brendan Rodgers. There's going to be pressure on him. At the same time, over on Talk Sport 2, we've got Accrington against Leeds. Well, it's a similar sort of tie, isn't it? The, the, the Accrington obviously beat Borum Wood by a goal to nil in the week, taking on a Leeds side at the crown ground. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a difficult atmosphere for Jesse Marsh, but you would expect them to be able to break down Accrington like they did Cardiff in the previous round. Eventually, getting over the line, do. Yeah, but John Coleman will, will again, you know, make it difficult. It's not an easy place to go, but you know they they've got their own fight um, down in the bottom of of, of League One, um, Accrington. So that'll be like relief for them. I would expect big game. Leeds will obviously take a lot of fans there, but I just think it's it's almost a good time for Leeds to be to be playing, having this game because they've got players to come back. I think the likes of Banford need minutes, um, and they've got some players that I think maybe would like to get away that could get some minutes as well. So I, I think it's I think this will be quite not easy, but I think Leeds will uh, Leeds will win this game with uh, with the players that I think will need the minutes and the quality coming back into the squad for them. Yeah, uh, Jorginho Ruter, uh will probably make his debut in this game. We might see Leeds in the fifth round for the first time since 2015 16. Wow, that's been a long time since they were in the fifth round of the competition. Their FA Cup record, I did their uh, replay against Cardiff, is absolutely dreadful. Why is it so bad? Um, especially, at, I mean, at home, they've hardly played a tie in six or seven years, um, but um, away from home again they've got a good chance if they not if they were to get through this round go into round 5 especially with the fact that there is only 11 teams right now from the Premier League still in this competition Arsenal play Manchester United Brighton play Liverpool so they're only going to be a maximum of 9 when it comes to the next round of the competition are Leeds one of those who could end up sort of competing for the FA Cup here
3: they should do and again this comes back to my hobby horse um, about managers who feel will weaken teams in the FA Cup now I understand Leeds are in a relegation battle but Dean will be able to give me a player's perspective on this. I always believe that winning breeds confidence. And it doesn't matter what competition, if you're struggling for points in the league, go and try and win your cup games. And then, you know, maybe that might have a positive impact. But also you look at a club like Leeds, starved of success. We we saw the scenes when their fans broke lockdown regulation, regulations to go and celebrate their promotion. Can you imagine if Leeds won the FA Cup? The, the place would go mad. So, you know, I think Jesse Marsh needs to field a strong team. And I think they need to target a prolonged run in the competition. There is a chance here when you look at the teams who are already out, the teams who are going out, there's an opportunity for one of the lesser lights in the Premier League to have a real go in this FA Cup. Having said that, if you look at the history, usually one of the big six wins it. Big five, actually, because Spurs never win it. Did you uh, have a little dig at
2: Leeds there during that course of that little rant? You were trying to say they were a big club, even though you said they weren't a big club on Twitter about a year ago and got in trouble with low leads Leeds fans. They told you never to come back to the city. And then... You've just had a little jibe about the fact they broke lockdown regulations to celebrate promotion. bit out of order. Don't think you'll be going back there again. You won't be getting invited.
3: Talking factually. Oh,
2: stats. Now now you're OK with stats. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, elsewhere, Blackburn against Birmingham is a 3pm Saturday. Blackburn have won their last five meetings with Birmingham. Fulham take on Sunderland on Saturday at 3 o'clock. Could that be an upset, Dean? Uh, yes, it could. Yeah, uh, Tony Mowbray's um, Sunderland side going very, very well. A good win against local rivals, Middlesbrough. Um, and they've got a very, very exciting um, front line. Obviously, Stewart's back from injury. Um, Ahmad, who uh, who Crookie would like to see, I'm sure, has done very well. And Clark as well, who used to be at Leeds. He's uh, that front three of, or cause anyone problems. And again, you sort of think, there should be no reason why Marco Silva makes any changes for this game. They're, they're doing so well in the Premier League. They should be again a bit like Leeds, thinking, "What a great opportunity! We're pretty much safe in the Premier League. Let's give this a real good go and see if we can if we yeah. can go far." You know, we did it a, a, um, as, as, a, as a West Ham team, you know, back in two thousand and six, and and there's no reason why, and you just don't know what's going to happen, as we've seen with the draw with. Um, with Arsenal and Manchester City, if the draw goes your way throughout the competition, you can suddenly find yourself, you know, in a quarterfinal, semifinal, with a real great chance of going through. Fulham should be doing the same. Yeah, my bet actually, this uh, this this FA Cup is for Fulham to make the final. I've just got a feeling that Fulham will make the final. They've got a good goal scorer. They've got a well-crafted team. I love the fact that the Polina Pereira Leno have all come into the side and done. Very good jobs. Been very good recruitment, sensible recruitment from Marco Silva. I like the fact they mix up their tactics. Last year in the in the championship, they're very possession tri- uh, driven. This year, they they don't mind hitting Mitrovic from the goalkeeper if they need to. They will try and build off him. And Pereira has added a little bit of class on that number ten position as well. So I think I think they'll have too much for Sunderland. There might be goals in the game though because there usually is when Sunderland are around. Uh, that should be a, a fascinating encounter as well. That one I think is on Talk Sport 2 at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So that should be uh, an interesting one. Ipswich-Burnley. Burnley Burnley should overcome Ipswich. Burnley got a good chance in the FA Cup as well because they've lost only three of their 32 matches this season and promotion almost done for them. They'll win the title. they have the title wrapped up before tea time. Uh, Shiffle Wednesday Fleetwood is another 3 o'clock Saturday. Luton Grimsby. Luton have lost just one of their last seven matches. They should be favourites to go through there. Uh, Blackpool uh, away at Southampton. Mick McCarthy. He's back in the game. He's gone down to Southampton. Is he gonna is he gonna cause Nathan Jones
3: some grief, Crook? Maybe. Uh Lincoln nearly did um in the first game back after the World Cup in that EF- in that EFL Cup tie. The big problems that Hampton have got and that they're trying to address it in this window is they don't have a, a goal scorer. You know, I was at St Mary's in midweek. If Shay Adams tucks away that chance against Newcastle, it could be a completely different tie. But they needed a goal scorer since the summer it was a frustration for ralph hasen probably ended up getting him the sack actually sport republic's failure to deliver that number nine they're still struggling to get a number nine so this is not the type of game where a premier league team are easily going to put away aside from the championship i think it's going to be tense it's going to be nail biting and uh i could even see blackpool maybe nicking a draw and taking it to a replay Oh, interesting okay
2: so you mentioned newcastle there who beat southampton uh, in the EFL Cup in mid-week. And besides too many players, they've offloaded one or two. In fact, Chris Wood's gone to Nottingham Forest, but they were looking for an attacking replacement. They haven't got one yet. I wonder why.
0: Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to hurts uh, in the by parcel rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to us in the channel has been bingus of the bypass rise plug sale and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important.
1: Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense. LinkedIn knows how.
4: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at Labrooks.com. 18+. BeGambleAware.org. T's and C's apply.
2: Well, if you tune into Talk Sport on a regular basis, you'll know that basically every show. Um, begs Alex Crook to go on and do a transfer segment. Um, is there a, is there a show that don't ring you? Because I know you got a little jingle for Drive Time. I know Simon and Jim sort of almost claim you as as one of their own. Uh, is is there a show that ignores you and doesn't want you on it? Uh,
3: not overly. H uh, and J sometimes do their own thing, um, but I, I do pop up on there occasionally as well.
2: Oh right, okay. So they're
3: they're, they're the ones that don't
2: like you the most. You're you're most unpopular with H and J. I think unpopular is stretching it um but certainly not underworked this window that's for sure are are you popular are are you are you popular
3: that's the question because of course you've got so many friends well i forgot (laughs) yeah do you know what as we sat on this call my my whatsapp is over in the background it's banging away with transfer updates every few seconds it's mental um i'm quite looking forward to the end of the window but it's going to be a frantic end of the window for sure okay um but newcastle haven't done as much business as many people thought they might why do you think that is I think it's the of Newcastle tax. I was speaking to someone this morning. Um, they were suggesting that Jack Harrison, a target in the summer when Newcastle came calling, the price automatically went up by 10 to £15 million. Pounds. You've got the Anthony Gordon situation. I think, in fairness here, they had their head turned a little bit by what Chelsea were allegedly willing to pay in the summer, although I think it's probably been overinflated, but they want £50, £60 million pounds for Gordon. I just don't think Newcastle are going to pay that. Yes, they can afford it, but I think the... the, the um, the, the way they've operated since the new owners came in is they won't be held to ransom. They won't pay over the odds for players. And I think they're going to stand by that. It might mean that they miss out on targets. It probably means that they're going to walk away from this Anthony Gordon deal. But actually, I think in some ways, it's quite laudable. Do you think that there are... I mean,
2: for example, we saw that Chelsea were linked with palming off Gallagher, Ziyech and others to Newcastle during this transfer window very early on suggested they were interested in those players. But Chelsea are reluctant to pass on players to Newcastle United, not necessarily because they see them as a direct rival in this year's table, but actually looking at the bigger picture, if Newcastle, if they were to feed Newcastle quality players between now and the end of the window, and then Newcastle ended up securing a place in the top four, the landscape of the Premier League might well change, Dean. Yeah, I think it's... um... I think that's what's interesting about certainly the loan market as well is not wanting to strengthen your rivals. You know, it's no. there's no doubt that if you look at Newcastle, they've been incredible defensively, ridiculous. But you could you could see them maybe starting to stumble if they weren't to get maybe a couple more reinforcements in terms of goals, in terms of attacking returns. And so, why would you? Why would you want to strengthen them at all when you? possibly could go on a good run yourself if you're Chelsea. And also Newcastle could have a dip. You know, it it doesn't feel like they've really had much of a dip yet. Um I think they could be coming, Dean. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, but I just think it's it's Chelsea's prerogative and, and if I was Chelsea, there's no way I'd be I'd be passing players over to my rivals. Not unless it was for a, a massive feat. Do you think though that Chelsea need to start moving players on? Because they just seem to have this ridiculously sized squad now. And even though they've got 10 players out injured, actually, if they, before the end of the window, do end up signing, yes, another player, and it does look like they'll sign Malagusto or Carcedo or Enzo Fernandez, someone in that midfield area, maybe even Inanna. I don't know. They're going to sign another midfield player. There's no doubt about it. They need someone in that well, area. Why, 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 the, why do you think that's an issue? I think uh, for FFP reasons, I think you need to get people off the, the wage bill. I think that for squad harmony reasons, you don't want players that aren't registered in certain competitions. You can only register 25 Premier League players. And also you can only register a certain number for the, the Champions League. I noticed that Mudrik, despite the fact that he scored three goals in six games uh, for the Donetsk to the Next in the first stage of the Champions League, can play for Chelsea in the second stage. Um I think Chelsea have accumulated quite a lot of good talent going forward, but I do think that that is going to upset others that are in and around the dressing room, and you have to be very careful about that because that might be difficult to manage for Graham Potter, and he's got enough on his plate. I think I think you make some valid points. I think players are on so much money now. They know, they know, a lot of players know, whether they are involved or maybe not involved. And... In terms of the training squads, it can be very easy to to sort of segregate at times and uh, and deal with that. And when you're at a big club, you're always going to have players that that aren't involved as such. Um, I and and so I don't, I actually don't see it as a as a bigger issue. I think the other issue, like you said, is that middle of the park issue that they have that midfield area is it really does seem to hamper them at the moment, especially against the top sides. Yeah, they need something in there. They need some bite. They need some legs. They need someone who gets in and around it and links the play from the forward to the back uh, and and vice versa. Uh, Spurs got hold of Dan Juma under the nose of Everton. Could it go any more wrong for Everton? Uh, Pedro Poirot, uh, what's, what's the latest with him?
3: Yeah, I think that's going to happen. I think there's a frustration from, from Tottenham, actually, Sporting Lisbon, who seem to be dragging this one out, not Spurs. I think there is maybe even a, a willingness for Spurs to... to, to agree to pay his buyout clause, which is around £40 million. I think stumbling probably is they won't want to pay that up front. Maybe they want to stagger the payments. But this is the signing that Antonio Conte really has made a priority this window. That right-sided wing-back doesn't say much for Jed Spence, who they signed in the summer. I think somebody will come in for him between now and the end of the window. But obviously, there is maybe a a concern there in terms of character uh, that Chris Wilder and uh, and others have have flagged up in the past. But yeah, Poro, I think, will happen. Obviously, they've got Dan Juma. That was one of the bizarre transfer window stories of our time. The fact he was in an Everton medical past, maybe even done a bit of club media and then suddenly was tempted away. But that happens in these windows. But they might even bring in one more, Tottenham. I wouldn't rule out, you know, if Porro being their last signing, I think they're keen to, to, to get business done because they still feel there's a chance in the top four. And you mentioned Newcastle. And I text you both after the game on Tuesday. It, it is a bold claim because they've been in such good form. I just think they might run out of legs, Newcastle, and slip out of the top four. I just don't think they're quite firing as they were maybe at the start of the season.
2: We shall see. Um, Just on Jed Spence, because you mentioned character, and it gets labelled at him a lot, and you said Chris Wilder. That wasn't the case. Chris Wilder inherited um, Jed Spence, but didn't really inherit him, because Neil Warnock had a problem with him, and Neil Warnock had loaned him out from Middlesbrough to Nottingham Forest. So he went to Nottingham Forest... Uh, Chris Waller didn't call him back because he didn't want to come back and he was doing work at Nottingham Forest and Middlesbrough thought, well, look, we've got an asset that is accumulating value-wise at Nottingham Forest. We'll wait, sell him in the summer, right? He then finishes the season with Nottingham Forest, gets promoted, does very well. Tottenham come in for him. Now, obviously, it's not Antonio Conte who's come in for him. It's Peritici. Uh, now, the sporting directors decided to buy him because he thinks good value Obviously done very well in the championship last season. That is an area that we need improvement. <laughs> Have you seen Emerson Royale? Um, so they, they obviously needed to bolster in that area. But Antonio Conte doesn't want him. For whatever reason, he will not accept that this player has been foisted upon him. So he will not play him. Now, maybe he sees something in training and he thinks, oh, well, he's not good enough for us. But he can't be as bad as Emerson Royal has been over the course of this season. Indeed, surely not. I mean, I saw Jed Spence last year. He played very well against Liverpool when they played in the FA Cup. There's no way on this earth that he could be as bad as Emerson Royale has consistently been. (laughs) No, I think he's a far better player than Doherty as well. I think he can feel himself very, very unfortunate that for whatever reason, and sometimes it can be simply the stubbornness of a manager. I think you've... It's just politics, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's exactly. just Conti just trying to flex his authority. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you're, I think you're right because he was a wonderful player for Nottingham Forest, and I'm talking. I think we all went, "Wow, this is this is yeah. a top top talent. We can't wait to see him develop." And he can't, There's loads of egos at, at the at the highest at the highest level. Loads. So you can't tell me that he's that bad that he just can't be anywhere near. The first team, it, it, it infuriates me to be honest because I was I was really looking forward to seeing him in a Tottenham shirt on a regular basis. Yeah, me too. Right, okay. Uh, Preston, uh, Tottenham. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, but first of all, uh, let's have a quick word on Everton. Bill, what you done? <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's just one win in 14 in all competitions. The Everton fans are not happy and Frank Lampard may be in big trouble after this result. It's finished West Ham 2, Everton nil.
3: Challenging moment, of course it is, but I knew that when I came into this job, it was challenging last year. It's never stopped being challenging. I think it'll be challenging for the club for a while. Talk sport. Does understand that Frank Lampard has this afternoon been sacked as ever to manager. I wasn't surprised. I think Frank Lampard is a is another victim of the fact Everton do not plan. Um, they haven't had a plan for a long time now. I feel sorry for Frank? It was a poison chalice job. The whole board is a shamble. They appointed him and they haven't backed him at all. I feel for Frank because I think he's coming to a really difficult job. I think he's had to inherit a load of problems that are going on. From previous managers and going on behind the scenes, but ultimately, you know, when you when you actually analyse Frank this season, his record's not being good.
4: Now we've just got to get somebody in who'll keep him up. Simple as that. It's crucial that this football club stays
3: in the Premier League. Whoever's going to come in next, they've got to hit the ground running and they've got to get it right. It is a club in turmoil. A great club in turmoil.
2: Okay, so Fred Lampard was sacked by Everton earlier in the week. Um, now, uh, who's, who's going to take over? What well, was going to be Bielsa? He's going to come in, he's going to save them. Perfect man to fit in for the People's Club. Problem is, he's looked at the squad and he said, uh, <laughs> no, nah, don't fancy that. Um, Sean Dyche, the fans want him, but Everton have gone calling on him. Harson Hootl, he's been linked. Didn't he just almost get Southampton relegated? Um, who is the best candidate and who is
3: actually wanting to take it? Well, they're two massive questions. Um, and uh, as I reported on the day that Lampard was sacked, they didn't have a, a definitive plan when they made that decision. Obviously, Bielsa very quickly emerged as their top target. As you say, he's reluctant. I don't think it's financial. You know, I've, I've seen some figures about his wage demands floating around. He was going to take the Bournemouth job, you know, and I don't think they were going to pay him £11 million a year. So I don't think this is a financial issue with Bielsa. He's rich enough anyway. I think he just thinks the squad isn't really suited the style of play that he wants. And actually, if you dig deep, I'm not convinced that Bielsa is the type of manager you need when you're in a relegation battle because you need someone who's going to hit the ground running. I think his football, the way he wants his teams to play, players need a little bit of time to become accustomed to that. Everton haven't got that time because they're banging trouble. Uh, I'm surprised that Sean Dyche hasn't seemingly featured too high on the radar, although Jim White has mentioned on Thursday morning that maybe he's now coming to their thinking. Uh, Carlos Corbrad at West Brom, I think, is a genuine contender. Uh, He's done a brilliant job Uh, the Hawthorns would he be willing to jump ship I guess that's a question for him Duncan Ferguson is going to Forest Green so it won't be him Uh, Wayne Rooney I think he's king potentially so don't rule him out but the fact we're talking about so many candidates I think we've known for a while that Everton would have to sack Frank Lampard so the fact they didn't have a definitive plan as to what they were going to do when they pulled that trigger I think probably tells you all you need to know about the football club at this moment in time Look, they didn't have to sack Lampard. They chose to sack Frank
2: Lampard. The reason they chose to sack Frank Lampard is because that's what they always do. They employ a manager. It lasts between seven and 12 months. Then they fire them. Then they start again. They're constantly firefighting. There's no coherent plan. And Bill Kenwright, who obviously clearly loves Everton Football Club, clearly has been a supporter for many years, has been given this position of chairman and he has to take responsibility for where they are. He tried to find investment. He got into bed with Mashiri. Mashiri lavished cash around, which he did unnecessarily at times, but going over the head of the sporting director, going over the head of the manager to buy luxury players, to furnish the, the squad with James Rodriguez, etc., etc., et that worked out to be an absolute disaster for the football club and a drain on the resources. And it's not the only one. They change the manager far too often, far too quickly, and without a coherent strategy. They've got no coherent a recruitment strategy. They've got no plan. They're struggling to finance the stadium. Mashiri says, oh, no, I'm not putting the club up for sale. I'm just looking for investment so that I can make sure that the stadium has got world-class people uh, involved in it and we can do proper investment going forward. That's what the fans want. You've run out of money. Tell the truth. You haven't got The cash, Because if you had the cash all on your own, you wouldn't be turning around and asking for investors to come in and help you, would you? So ultimately, they've run out of money because he spent £500 million on absolute nonsense. The truth is is that Bill Kenry should have either walked away, Mishiri, if he was going to come in, should have taken over the whole club and put someone in charge, a chief executive who knew exactly how to run and structure a football club, Instead, what we've got is a collection of people who love the club. Great. Really happy for that. That's really cool that we've got some real good Everton fans and Everton people in the boardroom, but they are about to kill it. They are going to take it into the championship because of 10 years of absolute decline. It is mismanagement on a grand scale. And at some point, they've got to carry the can rather than just keep sacking the managers. I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. And with all of what you've just said about Bill Kenwright and Mashiri and the spending money, you need somebody that can handle the playing side, that can deal with all of that, that's got loads of experience and can handle all of that while you sort your you know, your, your stuff out behind the scenes. Cause it does. It needs seriously sorting out a structure of the club, like you said. Uh, technical director, people with expertise. So bring in Big Sam. Say to Big Sam, as he would love, here's a massive bonus if you keep us up. Stabilises in terms of the playing staff. I think that's it's so obvious to me that you could bring in someone with that amount of experience has already been at the club and knows the ownership there as well to stabilise the playing side. You, you have to try and stay in the Premier League at the moment. But even if they do that, right? Even if Big Sam comes in like a firefighter, like he did last time, Red dare, saves them from going down. What next? What next? They're going to go. They're going to look for the latest fad. They're going to bring in another manager who's going to come in and want another £25, 30 million to spend on on on, on a striker that doesn't score goals. What? What they're going to do? Where, what they need is if they if they're going to get someone like that to come in, like you say, with expertise. That person then, once they've kept them in the Premier League, needs to move upstairs and take over the football side. Keep Kenwright away from signing players. Keep Mashiri away from signing players. Let the football department do their job. Build the football Club properly, rather than it being some sort of plaything for for a, an international businessman. The truth of the matter is, is that the people that are suffering here are the Everton supporters that have been waiting for this club to take off. They thought they'd won the lottery when Mashiri walked in the, in the door. Actually, he's going to be the reason that they end up plummeting into the championship. I don't think anyone can save them. I got it wrong earlier in the season. I thought Frank had coached his way out of it. I thought that they, the way they were playing, I thought. This is going to work. I, I've been down there and spoken to them. They're all they're all very focused about it. They tried their best with the players that are there, but ultimately the score's not good enough. The score's not good enough. injuries haven't had have them either. The score's not good. So it's a disaster.
3: Is is that your way of saying I was right all along? <laughs> you're always right. You are always right.
2: There's a reason you're always right because you change your mind every two days. So at one stage over the course of the season, you are always going to be right. Anyway. Um, we should probably move on from Everton because I've spent enough time ranting about them and there's still other games to go in the FA Cup. Game Preston versus Spurs is live on TalkSport uh, on Sunday. Uh, no, it's Saturday, isn't it? Uh, six o'clock, Preston. Yes, it is indeed, deep down. Um, Spurs are boring, aren't they? They're not very good. <laughs> I went to the game on Monday um, against Fulham. I don't know how they won that. In fact, I do know how they won it. Harry Kane, apart from that, they, they they were pretty average Dave. yes um i just i'm astonished just how deep they are right from the start of every game you know to, in terms of you look at whoever it, who it is playing in the in the the top end of the pitch kane son kulusevski the other night they're back on the halfway line defending and, and and that's whether they're away or or at home it must be must be a little bit soul-destroying story to play in as a player it's no it's not what I would ever imagine of a of a Tottenham side who, you know, throughout the time I've watched football have always been a, a great watch, which they're not at the moment. But luckily they're playing Preston, who are a bit like Reading and absolutely hopeless at home. They are they're in the bottom three in terms of home form in the in the championship. They've barely got a goal scorer in their ranks. Yes, they've kept look beats so it's, uh, it's sort of almost a free... But not recently, Dean. They, they, they've conceded 12 goals in the last five home games, Preston. So it's got even worse for them. Not, they can't even do the basic thing that they were doing at the beginning of the season, which was keep clean sheets time. So it doesn't look great for them. But uh, just to, I, I just want a quick word on Antonio Conte, who said that before the Fulham game, that his squad needed a rest because of fatigue and then named an unchanged side. So I think he saw, was telling us in code on Sunday... Oh, well, Saturday, I'm going to change the lot. Um, so I wouldn't be too surprised if we do see some of those fringe players play for Tottenham on, on Saturday night. Uh, Brighton Liverpool is live on
3: Talksport on Sunday. Another trip to the South Coast for Jurgen Klopp. Oh, he'll be worried about that, crookie. Brilliant game, this. You know, I was there for, for the league game, and it doesn't happen very often we watch so much football. I was still buzzing with Brighton's performance when I got in bed that night. They were scintillating against Liverpool, as poor as Liverpool were. If Brighton had won 7-0, it, it wouldn't have been an unfair reflection on the 90 minutes. So I think this is a fixture that Jurgen Klopp will be worried about. We know he likes to shuffle his pack in the FA Cup. Again, I hope Brighton goes strong because they're not in any danger of relegation. I know they might think they can challenge for Europe, but their fans would love to see uh, a day out of Wembley, be it a semi-final or, or a final. So I think this is, this is going to be a cracking game. It really is between two great coaches, two good squads of players. And if Brighton play anywhere near to the level they got in that league game I think Liverpool will be going out the FA Cup another big gun, falling by the wayside Live on Talksport on Sunday Wrexham versus Sheffield United Wrexham top of the National League, can
2: almost taste the FL football, can they get a championship scout here, they did it last time, and um, you know Ryan Reynolds might be there, so give it a little bit of Hollywood Dee, what do you reckon? I mean Wrexham Wrexham play quite good football I went there earlier in the season to uh, watch them beat Oldham, they were terrific well they should the way they've been able to recruit at that level of uh, that level of football. Um, what are you saying? They're money bags. Is that what you're saying? That's what you're saying. But yes, that's what I'm, that's what, that's what I'm saying as well. Well of course they are, but you you're right. I think we will see them in the EFL very very soon. Um and I think this is I think again how can Sheffield United not have their eyes on promotion from the championship? I, because they've got a thirteen-point cushion to third place, they don't yeah. need to rest. I think he will rest. Estate. I think you'll rest players. I, I do. I, I do as well. I think they've got enough players as well to try and rotate. I think he will. I I see Wrexham winning this game. I, I think Sheffield United. It's more important that they get promoted in the uh, in the in the Premier League. And the, and you've just talked about the gap that they've got. Well, why give your rivals any sort of a of a hope by picking up an injury to a, a top player in this game?
3: We got the makings mm, of, a, okay. of a game day treble there. Podcast treble. Walsall, Brighton and Wrexham. Quah, we'll be millionaires. We'll be able to buy Wrexham.
2: <laughs> or at least have a little share of it and sit next to Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> you never know. Although probably not a good idea for us to sit next to Ryan Reynolds because we look bad enough as it is. You know, And if Crookie <laughs> wears that shirt again, we're in serious you trouble. You hate this
3: shirt, don't you? Adrian
2: Durham
1: likes <laughs> it. Oh yeah.
2: my god, he has this shirt, D. I'm not joking. Let me describe it to you. It's like a knockoff Louis Vuitton handbag. <laughs> That's what it looks like. That's it's what it looks X. like. It's a dreadful, dreadful shirt. But it's yeah, so he, bad. Yeah, he has to wear that when he's black. Uh, roll necks in the wash that's why yeah exactly that's true he's only got two shirts Uh, Crook thank you very much Uh, we'll see you uh, next week thank you very much for uh, giving us your time despite the fact that you're so busy beyond every programme Dino cheers uh, for your time as well appreciate that Uh, game day uh, this week is very busy we've got a huge number of games for you nine commentaries from the FA Cup starting with Manchester City against Arsenal on Friday night. Warsaw Leicester kicks us off on Saturday at 12.30. We're on air with Adrian at 11 o'clock. Acton leads on TalkSport 2. We go round the grounds at 2.30. fulham Sunderland's on 2.00. Preston, Tottenham and Manchester united Reading follow. Two games on Sunday as well. And then on Monday night, Derby against West Ham. Make sure you tune in.
0: Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz in the Channelized Bingbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh yeah, that sounds important. Does work
1: chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.